listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 435. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our look at Apple TV Plus's new series, Foundation, based on the classic Isaac Asimov novel. And, I, dude, I think we should go ahead and continue the segment we started last week, and that is Dave and Wayne Talk Home Improvement, or... okay. Coping with home disasters. No, I'm just kidding. You guys out there. <laughs> yeah, it was only, as I told you, it was just a, a broken doorknob that uh, those are pretty simple. And, you know, you, you tell your wife or significant other, oh, my God, this is a tough job, but I got yeah. it done in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, fortunately, I found one that actually was a, a direct match, um, you know. When you get to nice. that point, it's like, I don't care if it matches the other doorknobs as long as I can open and close the door. But Yeah, right, right, yeah. But. Well, yeah, I continued uh, with uh, my home projects a bit for this week with um, the advantage of having a 13-year-old child who you can convince to go up on the roof and blow the leaves out of the gutter oh, for you. Oh, no, yes. <laughs> so. Oh, my God, it so reminds that, me. My, when I was living in Columbia – it's pouring rain in one night and uh you know phone rings and, and it's my next door neighbor who uh you know actually he you know he played in the band with us so you know i knew him pretty well and he's like dude there's like water pouring out of your gutter going down into your yeah. basement door i'm like oh great so dude i am terrified of heights now my old <laughs> house was just you know one story so right you know i could a, a six foot ladder on the on the deck got me onto the roof and i took one step like nope i'm gonna do my best soldier routine and i've just like crawled on my belly all the way (laughs) and it's like i get you after a while the phone rings again he goes dude what the hell are you doing (laughs) like oh so got it cleared Uh, out but yeah, yeah. I, I'd be lying if I said that never happened to me where, you know, it's just it's a really hard rain. And I look at him like, gosh, darn it. You know, the you know gutters are clogged. So you just got to go out there. Actually, you can just, you know, get, get on the ladder, not even climb up on the roof, just reach the one end, pull the big clump of leaves out. And then usually, it, you know, it's all good at that point. But yeah, yeah, that's that is not fun. Yeah, yeah. All- I, that is the, the dis- most disgusting job. Yeah. Um, but we just, like I said, just got a... Um, a cordless leaf blower that now it's kind of a lot easier instead of having to reach and grab the leaves and take them out. We just uh, blow them out with a leaf blower and it was pretty, pretty painless. Cool. So, all right. Well, especially uh, as I said, when I make the 13 year old go up on the roof and blow it out while I (laughs) look on and direct from, from the ground. Yeah, that's what uh, being a parent's all about, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let, let, let's put the lid on the home improvement segment and uh, get to <laughs> well, the- Well, I like this. I think we should we should come up with something every week, you know, a little, well, little quick uh, like home project segment. Yeah. I, I like how this is going. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I wouldn't mind if I didn't have one for a week or so, but- Yeah, uh, good. Yeah, great point. <laughs> anyway, uh, still watching the Americans. Uh, we're in season three, and- uh, yeah, I'll just leave it at that because I, I do want to mention that I, I finally finished Doctor Who Series 13, Episode 1, The Halloween Apocalypse. And after that cringeworthy opening scene, at least for me, I, I thought it was a pretty good episode. I, I really did enjoy it a lot. Um, love the banter between Yaz and the Doctor. And, and I like the idea that we've got one extended story that's going to work its way right. through six episodes, uh, which is all that uh, Series 13 is going to be. And, you know, my first impressions of the new companion, Dan, are positive, as are the callbacks. I mean, dude, how can you not love a callback to the Weeping Angels? True. And they did it, I, I, I thought, really well. The Sontarans, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I kind of dig them as, as alien villains. So, you know, we'll see. But, yeah. I enjoyed it, and I, I know I'm like three episodes behind because I think the fourth episode aired last night. So no, just the third. Oh, just the third. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, so, yeah, you're uh, good. You're uh, good. You, you you can do that easy. Okay, and, and I am up to date on La Brea. If any anybody out there is still watching that, it, it's like the acting's mediocre, the writing's mediocre, but the premise is just so damn compelling, and they, it, it's just uh, they, they just keep bringing me back each week. So well, not each <laughs> week. I. I right. fell behind. So, anyway, what are you watching? Um, well, yeah, I'm not going to really talk about Dickinson. I, you know, say how much I liked it, but I did 
uh, you know, I was, you know, watching season one, season two, season three, didn't even realize that season three is happening right now and that, you know, they're doing it week by week. So I got like three episodes into season three and all of a sudden it's like season four coming on Friday. I'm like, what? So, all right. Uh, yeah. So now I gotta, you know, go through the grind of watching it. Uh, a week at a time. I guess I'll I'll find a way to deal with it though. So, and actually, we want to talk about a couple of weeks. We have other stuff that talking about is uh, watching the uh, last half of season one of Leverage Redemption. Again, Leverage. I've you know spoken often about how much I enjoy that show and uh, how great the characters are. And Redemption is is really it's hard. You know, it's it's pretty much you know like Le- Leverage is is. I guess you could say that they, they kind of have, like, a formula, right? They even kind of make fun of it in the show sometimes. Like, they have, like, these things that basically this kind of format that each week kind of follows. Um, and that's and that works, right? It's kind of like uh, Law & Order, right? It said Law & Order probably will be on forever, some iteration or another of it, because it's just like you got the format and you just follow the format. Each week you just plug in different characters and a different problem, right? Or case in that case and um and with leverage it's much the same way you know i'm going to say this might be controversial but you know especially going back and watching a little bit of season one and now working my way slowly through season two of the original show of leverage you know i i do think the show misses a little something without timothy hutton and i know timothy hutton the reason he's not there is his own fault and it's bad um and i'm not absolutely not questioning the producer's decision to not work with him anymore. Um, you know, I, especially in this day and age, he effed up, right? Uh, big time. He did, he was, was, uh, bad and, and all that, that being said, you know, he, he was certainly the emotional kind of his character. I should say not him. His character was kind of the, the, you know, the, the, the emotional heart, and lent a lot of gravitas to the show because he was a guy whose you know, young son had died because the insurance company he was working for uh, would not pay for his son's treatment. And so, you know, he's motivated by this kind of desire to get back at all the, you know, the people who take advantage of, of people who are, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like vulnerable. Yeah. Um, so, you know, without that in there, I mean, there is still a sense of gravitas. They, you know, they, they his character is, is dead and everything. So, you know, there, there is some, with the other characters, there's some level of emotion going on there. But um, it's just something I kind of noticed. But still, uh, Leverage Redemption was, was great. Uh, good fun. And, uh, you know, I would recommend, especially if you like Leverage, you should definitely watch Leverage Redemption. So, All right. Sounds good. Let's get to Foundation, Episode 8 of Season 1, titled The Missing Piece, written by Sarah Nolan, who wrote an episode of The Americans, as it turns out. Directed by Roxanne Dawson, who directed three episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., as well as two of The Americans, aired November 5th, 2021. Um, You know, the title, The Missing Piece, I I think certainly one of the, the most important storylines in this episode revolves around brother day and his experience walking the spiral and and, you know what we find out about his soul or lack thereof so is the missing piece the soul is that what we're supposed to think of when we look at the title Uh, maybe yeah maybe or is it salvor is she the missing piece or yeah right in a more or, positive or light sure right right, right in yeah. a more positive light and uh gail god we'll get to her in a minute what? Uh, i have no idea what that woman <laughs> is thinking but uh yeah. you know the the other That'd thing that i noticed just as you know point of information is that five of the eight episodes have been written by women Three of the eight have been directed by women, and certainly we have a lot of really strong female characters in this show. Sure. But I guess I would argue that a lot of the shows we cover have that as well. Maybe this one a little bit more so, but I do I do find it interesting, and I, I I'm not sure if I can put my finger on what's different, you know, about this. Probably nothing. It just 
<laughs> I guess I just happened to notice it and thought I'd throw it out there. So, um, yeah, well, I mean, there's for sure. I mean, obviously this show is really centered on strong female characters and the only real main male character is, you know, brother day. And, you know, obviously he's not necessarily someone that we root for here. Um, even like one of the main antagonists is uh, Farah is a, a female, and sure. So, yeah. yeah, sisters doing it for themselves, man. Yep. Um, you know, you know, we basically have three primary stories going on here. Although they do just throw in this little blurb uh, about the situation on Terminus, where we see Salvor's mother trying to convince the Anacreon in charge that the Null Field is getting closer. We need to move which means you've got to take down the fence which of course he perceives to be some sort of a trick and we don't necessarily know for sure whether it is a trick i mean we do know it's expanding you know we we learned that before but perhaps she's using it as some sort of a ploy i mean uh, we don't don't really know though yeah i didn't think so either but i i guess i felt like this was just thrown in there with no other context why didn't you just save this to next episode so right you know it is what it is um yeah that's going to be something that you're you're absolutely right it is completely just like you know kind of tacked on there but as you're suggesting it might turn out later that you know putting it in this episode was was a great call or yeah, yeah. i though i imagine more than likely we're going to say why didn't they just put that scene in a later episode? <laughs> but right. you never know. Who knows right. what the future holds? Right. Now, now the first story we are presented is the one with Farrah, Salvor, and the Invictus. And, and we get that opening scene where it's a flashback. And you know, it, it's, it's clearly Farrah and her younger brother playing in a forest when, when the bombs go off. And fine. I don't know that we really needed to see that. We, we pretty much understand where she's coming from. She's made it painfully clear why she's doing what she's doing. And then, you know, w- once we get back to the present, that, that statement she makes to Salvor that I don't care about mankind, that she's right. willing to burn it all down and, and go with it. And, you know, we talked last week about whether or not her lieutenant is going to really listen and hear what Salvor is trying to tell him, you know, certainly comes into play this episode. And, and again, we get the sense that, that he understands that he's working with a mad woman that, that she's gone beyond, right. you know, what, what's really any kind of acceptable behavior. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right. Like I don't find that, that scene there, really necessary at all because well at first it's like okay well they're trying to humanize fair right we witness the the horror of what she saw then okay so maybe we sympathize for her but then they turn around and she is just as like unlikable as she was before and she says this desire to like kill people no matter what and doesn't care if innocent people like she you know compounds you know, she's so bent on revenge that she doesn't care if, like, innocent people die or, or anything like that. So, you know, like, that, that sympathy that we potentially might have gained for her, we, we lose, right? If we ever had in the first place. We just see it as a, as a cheap ploy to try and humanize Pharaoh. But we already know that, you know, we understand she lost everyone right and and her family is gone and, and everything like we we get that so we don't need to see little kids getting blown up to for us to feel sorry for we either do right. or we don't by this point and most of us probably don't right and, and she perceives that there is divine support for her mission as well and then in the next breath she puts it to salvor your your choice is either help me destroy trantor and then hope that I allow the foundation survivors, you know, to, to go on or, you know, it's a death warrant for, for everybody. So uh, we, we've certainly gotten to know Salvor enough to know that, fine, you gave me two choices. Well, I'm going to come up with a third. 
and yeah. you know then we'll, we'll go from there but uh well it's, uh, it's turns just like out- the, just basically the either or fallacy like you trying to convince someone by saying there's you only have two choices pick one and obviously the one you want them to make is going to be you know the one that looks a little bit better but she also unfortunately she as salver points out if you're successful the empire is going to kill everyone and probably terminus included so how how is threatening terminus going to help me to you know help you right. when you know just the empire is their wrath is going to be so terrible they're going to kill anyone that had anything to do with it which is going to include your home world that that apparently Farrah is holding in front of her like a carrot so yeah now joe posted in the facebook group that I should watch or that anybody, but I think he was referring to the fact that, you know, we thought Hugo was dead after that incident last time. And he's like, no, watch when he starts floating away. And Joe, I watched it. I don't know how many times. So you'll have to post what it is I was supposed (laughs) to see because I definitely didn't see it. But fortunately, Hugo's not dead after all. Well, you you said last week that you that there's a possibility he's not dead, you know, and everything. Yeah. So but, that was a good call on your part. Yeah, but that was – I also said I might feel like it's kind of You're a just, cheat that uh, you know, he somehow survives. But I guess, you know, he's in that debris field. He latches on to some sort of structure that turns out to be some sort of communication satellite, I think. He presumably sends out a distress call to uh, – you know, his well, that's been buddies. He yeah. does it. We right. see him do it. Right, right. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing I meant to ask you, and because it's funny, because you can get all sorts of different versions of, you know, where you watch it, Apple TV. Uh, you know, I happen to look at the screeners. When the Anacreons are talking Anacreon, I- I'm not seeing any kind of subtitles. So I can only presume oh. what it is they're saying. Yeah, they had subtitles. They did. She okay. calls her a bitch. In, okay. In <laughs> All right. So I'm, I'm, that's I'm, the one that sticks out. All right. Well, I'm going to figure yeah. out why why they're not popping up there. But uh, um, so anyway, so yeah, so he he does that now. You know, like we said, she's still trying to reason with with his uh, her second as she gets into the bridge with lewis and and lewis is sort of redeeming himself a little bit i mean certainly he he meets what appears to be his demise uh, again i guess um, never say never never right? say never but uh <laughs> she deduces that the ship went down as a result of a mutiny and and then there's of course that tense moment as they're trying to disable it and that relationship between farah and salvor is really fascinating to watch because you, you so many times they're forced to work together they do work together even though we know they i don't know if hate is too strong a word probably not each other and what each other stands for but they successfully take out the gun and uh you know she's a pretty good shot she's no katniss everdeen but you know, she got the job done i will say that yeah well you know i think she also let salvor do the it's hard not like she, yeah or, or yeah she didn't really jump out like the first time salvor tried you know, like there was like three times that that salvor had to you know run in front of the guns uh before she she finally took it out so you know i would if I were Salvor, I probably would have appreciated her maybe doing that on the first go, so I didn't have to run in front of the guns quite so many times. But you know, right now you builds know up dramatic tension. Oh well, well, yeah, and, and you know, one of the things I'm was wondering about because we almost have to think about the whole idea of the visions that not only she has but Gail has as well. And, and as of course we've talked about the connection there seems to be between the two of them that we still don't know exactly what that means, but as She's getting into the bridge, and we don't get an answer for this, but but I wonder, does she think that, all right, possibly they're going to be dead people, there might be a gun lying there that I can grab real quickly? Because, of course, that's what she does, and that's how she and Lewis take control of the bridge and, and lock Farah and her lieutenant out. But it, it's such a quick act that I almost wonder whether it was something that she anticipated and then when the opportunity was right there, she just pounced on it or whether she just thought that quickly as soon as she saw it. 
I think she's just she's working on the Felix Felicis right now. Okay. Yeah. You know, you know what that you get out of you. It's just the the sixth Harry Potter book. Oh. He takes this potion uh, that's supposed to bring you good luck, and so he just instinctively knows the right thing to do. Okay. You know, in, in order for him to accomplish his goal. So, you know, I think that what she is doing is, you know, working on her inner Felix Felicis. She's, you know, just relying, and I've said this before, relying on her instinct to guide her because, like I said, she feels that it's Harry Seldon in some way that's guiding me. So I just have to do what my instinct tells me to do, and that will somehow work out. Right, and hope the weapon's loaded and... And ready to go, yeah. which of course it is. Um, it is right. So she gets in there and she sees that the captain apparently committed suicide. You know, we see what appears to be a cut on her wrist. So I guess that's a reasonable explanation. But there's also that cryptic message in blood. E-X. Very few murders happen with people slashing the other person's wrist. I exactly. Think. So whether it's XO, you know, like the second in command, or as Salver points out from outside the galaxy and she surmises and, and whether this is the way it's going to turn out, which I think it is. And it's just a, you know, a narrative device. She surmises, they jumped too far, kept going uh, farther out, couldn't resupply. So on the one hand, I mean, it makes sense. We don't need to spend a lot of time going over that. So that was great that she just threw that out there. And, and, and certainly I, I like that, but, Dude, then we get to once she figures out, and, and, and of course Lewis is. This is one of his areas of expertise as well, navigation. And she realizes that okay, we don't have any jumpsuits, or, or you know, we don't have any of those those uh, artificially the thing enhanced that prevents you from going mental when you jump. Right, that she's got to jack in and she's ready to do it and and of course we've talked many times out you know none of this is in the book but this is certainly a call back to william gibson and, and like neuromancer and, and some of his other works about like jacking in so so that's what Sometimes she's ready jacking off okay. <laughs> i wasn't gonna be the one um you, it was out there. I'm sorry. I, I know I, that I was know. infantile, but I just couldn't stop myself. I know. I know. <laughs> um, and, and her plan is then to take the ship back to Terminus. Well, well, of course, it doesn't get to that point. But but I I love that conversation she has with Lewis, where she says, "We have to try. That's all there is to do in a crisis is to try." And of course. I'm going to throw it out there, the whole idea of the Selden crisis, which is certainly a pretty important aspect of the book, hasn't really popped up yet, but you know, we'll see how they, they handle that there. But, but we, we do know the idea that, that Harry predicted there would be you know, several crises that would have to be, would be handled. But uh, you know, Lewis is like, no, you can't just ram that thing in the back of your skull and, and she's like well yeah but the computer will it'll figure out what to do once it's you know mm. but but of course right they don't get to that point and we get that poignant scene where she gives him the coin to give to her mother if she dies and all of that but but of course farah breaks in and the shooting starts and and then of course uh um the thespian ships show up and and you know the day is saved to a certain extent. I mean, Salver's wounded, but I, I guess the big question that, that we have to consider is uh, what happens during and then, of course, more importantly, after the jump. I mean, Salver's wounded when the hyperspace jump occurs. None of them have protection. I think we know she's the outlier. She's going right. to be fine, just as yeah. Gail is fine. Right. I don't see any reasonable explanation for Farah and her lieutenant and Lewis for sur- to survive this. I mean, I, I guess we'll see. You know, maybe they'll come up with some explanation, but I, I, I'm, I'm prepared that it's just her that's going to survive this jump. I, I mean, I don't think that's going to happen just because then where is her conflict? Well, besides being in God knows where in space and trying to get back to anywhere. But I, I I feel like that we haven't reached a resolution between her and Farah of of their conflict here. So I think, 
that at least and and honestly, why would they spend all this time having Salvor working on Pharaoh's lieutenant? We should really know that guy's name, I think, but I we don't. Um, why would they spend all this script having her trying to you know working him? just to kill him off in the jump. Like, I don't see that happening. So I think there's, there's still a story and conflict between these three, at least Lewis. I, I, I don't feel confident about his making it, but again, you never know. Well, especially given, you know, the, the medical advances that they probably have. And it's just a matter of somebody finding the med bay and getting out the cauterization gun or whatever. Um, so I, I guess, and I certainly see what you're saying and, and, and I can see that happening. I guess I would have to say if that's the way they go, it does then make more sense to me that when they reach wherever they're going to end up, that she will recover much more quickly than the others so that she should sure. have a chance to restrain Farah and her right. lieutenant. That, that's something I could get, get down. Okay. And then it's, I guess, a question of reasoning with her to, to take a different approach, that, that she's got to be able to talk her down at some point. That I don't see happening. I don't see happening either. So then how long do we carry this out for? You know, I mean, yeah. there's well, got to be something. Got two more episodes. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I certainly can see her lieutenant surviving, signing on to uh, Team Salvor. But yeah, I, I think this was a really, I, I mean, I still think the the aspect of Brother Day walking the spiral is the most important part of this episode. But, but yeah, absolutely. We, we absolutely, though, get a lot here. Because at the end of the yeah. day, I think Salvor's going to be in in control of the Invictus, which, albeit it's what eight hundred years old, I forget how many right. how many hundreds of years. So uh, you know, we'll see what power it's got. But well, but you know, I think the thing is, is that like I said, that that Salvor has something she's working with. Like she's she's got this this instinct that she pretty is pretty sure is coming from Harry Seldon in some way or another. So she has like that kind of, I guess almost, I don't want to say confidence necessarily, because that's not exactly where I'm looking for, but, but certainly this idea that what she thinks about doing is in some way the right thing to do. Whereas Farah has just got straight up revenge, you know, like she doesn't have anything behind her except for just this burning desire for revenge. So I think that's is what Salvador definitely has that advantage over her in that way. Yeah, yeah, it's just this darkness. And, you know, we go back to the episode title, The Missing Piece, and certainly we talk about the the idea of a soul in, in the story about the spiral, and, and it's almost like Farrah just lacks empathy or – a soul however you want to to phrase it and and again we understand where she's coming from we understand the the pain she's gone through in her life but at at some point um this isn't really the right approach but but obviously there's a power play going on there and the storyline that i'm most just confused about is this power play going on between gail and harry and (laughs) i mean I just don't know what to think about it. I mean, he's worried that her prescience has the potential to skew psychohistory, which I understand that that certainly makes sense sure. that if she knows something's going to happen that she perceives to be a negative, then she's going to want to do something to stop it. But that's not what psychohistory is necessarily all about. Although we have talked, you know, numerous times about you know the idea that that it's more about large groups and masses of people rather than the individual. So, you know, I'm not sure how that's going to. Right. Uh, but like, here's one individual who could really throw it all off. Yeah. You know, like there's a reason why Harry is keeping people in the dark and, and Gail should understand that she actually knows the math for psychohistory, right? Yeah. So, so why she reacts the way she does, th- you know, acting like, a petulant child like you won't I, I want you to tell me everything and if you don't i'm gonna kill myself it's like like what like i mean i'm just like yeah 
I, it, it doesn't, I, and again, there's a possibility that this will potentially make more sense in the future. But as it is, it just seems like, okay, we know that she is, I mean, not, I don't know. She, she's she is a scientist, right? She's a, um, she's a mathematician. Like she knows the math. She kn- understands psychohistory better than pretty much anyone, except for probably Harry Selden. And yet, she's you know willing to to chuck all that, right? right. And like to hell with psychohistory. No, I'm not going to help anymore. I'm just going to launch myself in a in a. a a shuttle escape and yeah. escape pod, a pod, right? And uh, spend the next 138 years traveling through space. It's like, yeah, you know, it's just, well, because it, it was hard, seems, hard to take. Well, because it seems to come out of this feeling that she's been manipulated by Harry, which she has, but get over it. This is, this is his ball. You know, you're playing in his game that he invited you to play and you, should understand the importance of succeeding at this game but still at the end of the day you know it's like harry's still in charge and it's almost as if she demands to be an equal and i think from harry's perspective you might get there or or maybe not might you will get there someday it's just not today and He's revealing things as they go along, and you know we we learn they're still on their way to his home planet of Helicon. But but the other big reveal that obviously anybody that's read the books is aware of the fact that there's a second foundation, and this one's on his home planet of Helicon, or or it will be once it's it's up and running. But the fascinating thing about this part of the story is that we learned that the first foundation was essentially just they were cannon fodder it was like draw fire away from the real foundation right which you know when you really examine that that's that's pretty hardcore on harry's part they're going to sacrifice all those people, well, I, I, hundreds, I don't think he, thousands. He meant them to be sacrificed per se, but just for them to be the um, empire knows about. Okay, and the the you know the part that will get the attention, the focus of the empire, be like the public face of it, and then with okay. this other foundation being made in secret, that that's kind of the one that they you know really want, but it, because they can't. You know, he can't establish the foundation in secret altogether, right? Because, you know, it was a public, the whole separation from Trantor and everything was a public occurrence. Sure. So they they have to have like the public face and then also the the real one to that to that needs to develop in secrecy and in isolation, which is um the other one. So Well, so you don't think psychohistory predicted the Anacreons coming and and taking over the way they did. You just think that was that would fall under Harry's smaller groups of people, not these mass populations. No, I think I think probably psychohistory would have predicted that because you know, like I mean, Harry was there when the Empire struck back against Anacreon, and of course, that's going to create bitterness, and you know, ultimately. You know, someone. So I think probably, uh, you know, for most stuff in, in Foundation, just say, however it works out, that's how Harry meant it to work out, you know, kind of right. like that. Right. Now, you know, you mentioned Gail basically cuts ties with, with Harry. You know, on the one hand, it was kind of a, a painful scene to watch because. You know, it's 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 like the the student just telling the teacher, "F you." Uh, you know, I thought you had my best interests at heart, but but clearly you don't. And I, I think we realize that's probably not the case. But he lets her go, unless that's what he anticipated would happen <laughs> right. anyway. Um, <laughs> right. But then you know, you mentioned she climbs in the escape pod sets the controls to return to Synax, and as you said, it's going to take 138 Imperial years, which means everybody she knows is going to be dead. I mean, unless we're right. in a, you know, a, a period of 
people live super, super yeah, long lives. Right, right. right. And, and it, it's almost as if she considers that for a split second and then decides to go anyway. So who knows what she's going to find on Synax when she returns? Because her legacy cannot be good, I wouldn't think. You know, um, yeah, certainly no. Not, not in their home world that, well, that she predicted was going to be flooded over, right? Right. So, again, why are you going there? Then? Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, you have to figure that, you know, is the flood going to happen after 138 years? I don't know. But, I mean, yeah, I, I just didn't like this whole bit with, with Gail here. And um, not that, you know, oh, you just actually stood up to a dude. It's like, well, no, it doesn't, it just, it doesn't make sense. Right. How she does or why she does, except they're, all right, is she upset about race? Yeah, of course. You know, uh, does she blame Harry for Raish's death? Okay. Yeah, obviously. But then again, you know, like, I mean, we have to remember, this is the girl who stood in front of the emperor and lied to him in order to protect psychohistory. So, like, now, because she's upset, She's going to chuck psychohistory down the toilet. You know, it's just. Right. I mean, she understands the stakes that are involved. That's what makes this so confounding right. to, to watch her. It's actuation. almost like it's not about you. Right. <laughs> like you just want Harry to say that it's not, that probably is not going to be what she wants to hear. anyway. Uh, but, no, but that's the case. Though, right. It's, it's not about her. She's making it all about her. Yep. So, all right, well, we got Brother Day walking the spiral. And as we said last week, it, it was almost too good to be true that he would be given this opportunity. Yeah, I listened to it a couple of times. The, the, the walk is I couldn't understand whether they were saying 107 or 170 kilometers. It doesn't really matter. It's either 66 or 105 miles for those of you in the States that don't necessarily know your kilometer. Uh, it's conversions. 107 kilometers. Okay, so 66 miles. About a little bit over 64 miles, yeah. Right, so no food, no water. Um, He's got to leave his protective aura, so we see him take off the bracelet that we've come to know so well through Brother Dawn, has his royal nanobots extracted, and this is, as we're told, going to be the first time he'll be subject to injury. And, you know, I, I think one of the things that is interesting here is that obviously... He is in phenomenal physical shape in terms, in visual terms. And, you know, how much of that is a result of the nanobots that he's got? I, I would suspect it's a lot. So to, to look at him, especially next to that older gentleman that he ends up walking with for a, a period of time, who appears, you know, obviously much older than him, in nowhere near as good a shape. I guess what I'm getting at is just because he looks like he's in good shape doesn't necessarily mean he is that right, that right. his his muscles have never truly been tested before until yeah. now. So But but you know hats off to Lee Pace and the oh. work he put in to to look like that man like dude that all right that's fucking that's impressive brother man like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, no no kidding. And um again we see a lot of this relationship between Demerzel and and brother day and you know as he's preparing he takes a piece of her salt bracelet i think i can't remember whether he just pulls it off her wrist or she takes it off he and, rips it off because oh, she like jumps yeah when when he and, does it she like he's like what yeah. right and, and and then he says you know i i want to have this as a as a symbol of your support so that you know even though you're not with me physically out there you'll be with me of course, as you said, she doesn't look very happy about it. And, and, you know, I think once we get to the end of this episode, maybe that that look becomes a little more clear. But re- regardless, and, and we could say, look, he's the emperor. She's his artificial intelligence, you know, robot, as is pointed out there at the. Uh, that just seems like such a rude term. And both well, it, him well, it, and well, Halima. Yeah. Say it. You know, I'm like, oh, you know with the R word? Ouch. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, again, I think it's been clear that she does have feelings and whether they're programmed or whatever, she has them. So, yeah. uh, you, know, you know, without, you know, going too deep down that rabbit hole, 
So well, yeah, because it's 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 a it, you know not to I, I, all right maybe I'm going a little bit down right but but you know it's a good point like you say that you know it is like I I'm starting to find her as probably the most fascinating character here because she you know is programmed so she has things that she has no choice in doing but she is self aware to know that she doesn't have the choice right and Halima tells her like you can make your own choices. And she's like, no, I, I really can't. So, oh, and so she, she's here watching this loathsome person who, you know, like last week, I know I predicted that day would undergo a a spiritual transformation. And for a second there, I thought I might be right, but I was obviously completely and totally wrong. But, you know, so she, you know, he, he steals her vision. He, totally he makes her go and kill this woman that she admires a lot it seems like you know that they're they're setting this up that maybe at maybe sooner rather than later she's going to be able to exert some free will and when she does look out brother day is all i can say yeah and and you know his uh i guess his foresight uh, about preparing for the possibility that he would not have a vision once inside the cave, because you have to believe he doesn't know what's going to happen once he gets in the cave. I I don't think we can look at this situation and say, he knows he's not going to have a vision. So I need to prepare myself. He's preparing himself just in case. And of course that's what happens. And, you know, he's walking with that companion looking very haggard and again i i I really like how we see the transformation um as they throw off their clothes which of course then leads to sunburn and and just even you know much yeah it's a really bad idea to you want to keep the clothes on yeah you would think so uh but but you know we really get a good sense of just how painful this journey becomes but he asks his companion, you know, you know, what have people seen? And he gets that description of salt swirling, which obviously comes in handy when it's his turn to recount what it is that he sees. But, but then we get that point where he falters, goes down on one knee and, and, you know, this is not like the NFL. It's, you know, one knee and you're not quite down in, in, <laughs> right. in you're not foundation. Down I think maybe Canadian football might be like yeah. that. Sure. <laughs> but you, you wonder whether Brother Day truly understands the meaning of this man's act when he helps him up and, and just encourages him. And on the one hand, did you find it odd that this guy didn't recognize Brother Day? I mean... Um, yes. I, because Brother Day looks the same... Jeez. As, yeah. as he has for the last 400 years. Right. So You'd think be a fairly recognizable face. I would think. So th- I kept wondering whether this guy knows, but he's just not going to say. And then you, I kept you thinking. You know when like, you see like a famous person and you're just not sure because you're like, well, why would they be here? You know, like, you know, so maybe he's just like, yeah, man, that dude really, really looks like the emperor. But what would, what would the emperor be doing here? You know, so it's just so out of context that he would probably just dismiss it. Well, and, and I wondered whether, you know, as the companion is, you know, basically dies along the road, whether maybe he would, you know, acknowledge that I know who you are. But of course he doesn't. Now, now of course, they have that conversation, which has become a, a big part of the theological background of foundation what if this is just the end because obviously reincarnation is part of this world or or the belief or misbelief that that reincarnation is an issue but he but brother day says what if this is just the end maybe we'll meet again you can tell me what you saw he tells brother day who's clearly shaken by this man dying and i'm not exactly sure why he is so shaken by this man's death. Is it that now he's left alone on the road to, you know, you know, finish off him, finish by himself? Or is it something much deeper? Because, you know, one moment I feel like day really understands the plight of the common man. And the next, you mm-hmm. know, I, I, he, he couldn't give a crap. 
Yeah, I think mostly he can't give a crap, but he is very in tune with his own concerns and feelings. And you know, you you have to think a guy who knows pretty much exactly when he's going to die. You know, that idea of mortality, like the most is we we don't know. We don't know for sure. We know it could come any moment, but, you know, you don't know. So you live your life accordingly. But he pretty much knows exactly when he's going to die. So, um, you know, does that, you know, is that something that kind of is is just on his mind always? Like this, this idea of his own mortality is just he's constantly thinking of that. Yeah. Now, you know, we, we see him enter the cave and, and I was a little surprised that there was no one else around. Yeah, I, I would have thought there would be, you know, maybe a person that was ahead of him. I mean, was he the first one there? Is, is he? And how does he get back? Well, I assume you have to then walk back, but yeah, I don't know. They don't really cover that. And, and you know what? That's fine because the next thing we know, he's standing before a panel of Zephyrs recounting his experience which turns out to be a vision of the birthroot flower, which, you know, has that symbol of three out of one. And, and, you know, of course the, the Zephyrs are all really moved by this and and they see it as a holy vision as is his presence. And, and, you know, that, that whole parallel between the, you know, the three brothers, the genetic dynasty and the triple goddess of, of course makes Melina unhappy because her power appears to be waning and mother superior i guess that's what she is yours is clearly not a soul mired in stagnation she tells him and the audience and and you know makes the proclamation but you know dude it's just the big lie and yeah um, that's the thing you know like i because again i i obviously i said last week I thought he was actually going to go through a religious transformation and that, you know, like basically everyone was going to win here, right? Sure. Um, and so when I'm seeing this, I'm like, ah, I would totally called it, you know, and everything. But, you know, hats off to the people who, the writers and everything here, that they just were like, no, no, no transformation at all. It's all BS. Yeah. You know? um, and so when he, he says to Halima, he's like, you know, like, I want to thank you because you, for inspiring me to take this journey of transformation. At first, when he said that, I'm like, oh, well, that, I mean, that could, all right, I, I can see how that could be seen as like arrogant and everything. Like he's trying to throw it in her face. But if he has like legit undergone a religious transformation, then he is being completely forthright with her. Well, then, of course, we see almost the next scene. He's having her killed, and we find out that he made up the the vision, so there was no transformation. And when he, you know, says that to Halima, it is simply as you know the a hole that he is lording it over her, throwing it back in her face, and you know all this he's gone through because he, you know, I mean, obviously it is an impressive physical feat that he achieved. But that's Absolutely. all it is. It's a physical feat. Uh, there's no spiritual aspect to it at all. He has not grown. And, you know, in, in fact, you know, Demerzel says, I feel sorry for a person who would, you know, do all that and then not see anything. You know, again, that, uh, you know, verbal irony there that um that she probably knows well i mean obviously she does know that he didn't see anything exactly yeah which just makes that so such a delicious scene because you know as you said i mean he's he's essentially mocking zephyr molina at at that point and you know because we we know that well you know we don't know exactly but at, at this point but uh you know it turns out but that scene, and you, you you started touching on it a few minutes ago when Demerzel goes to to Halima, and you know Halima's like, you know, no, you can do what you want. No, I can't, right? And and we don't need to necessarily go down that whole thing. But then the truth emerges that oh yeah, I walked the spiral eleven thousand years ago, and I, I love Halima's reaction. Oh, okay, so the rumors are true. 
he does have the last intelligent robot in the galaxy. But that whole idea of lacking individual sentience, again, I think when we, we look back at everything that, that happens in this episode, it's Brother Day that lacks a soul, whereas Demerzel finds hers. And, and, and Melina, Halima, I think, verifies that for her, which, again, I thought was a wonderful scene that that mm-hmm. you know it, it's the artificial intelligence that has the soul not the you know is he human well he's a human clone i guess we have to at least acknowledge that so fred does that make him right. human even though he's a clone <laughs> yeah that's well again i'll have to I'll leave it up to fred but I, you know i don't know if he's qualified to answer the the philosophical question but um of course i've just challenged him there so i'm, I'm sure he'll he will do just that right. Right, but but then just that heartbreaking scene when when Halima and, and she she accepts her death with with such grace, and and understands just how terrible Demerzel feels for you know doing what she had no choice, you know at the because she she was programmed to do it. And she, she said, "Look, even if you stop me this time, I'd come back and tear you to pieces." or whatever she says exactly. Right. But, uh, you know, the poison through the skin, you know, we've certainly seen that before, Um, which all leads up to that, that last scene. And, and again, you just touched on this a second ago. Um, Day is eating alone at this, you know, just elaborate dinner table with food for, you know, 20, yet he's the only one there. She lets him know the deed is done and then confronts him about his vision. And, and as you said, she knows he didn't see anything, that you saw that picture I had in my study. I mean, she doesn't know that he heard the description about the swirling salt, but uh, you know, you mentioned the verbal irony. We know. So we're able to put two and two together, and, and you know, we, we certainly know he didn't see anything. And then she gets that that just knife in i wouldn't wish for anyone to see nothing yeah right right yeah. and then of course we get that brief scene where he remembers the truth which is that he did see nothing so anyway um anything else you want to talk about I, I don't i don't think so right i you know i i just like i said i, I really as much as i did not like the writing choice that they made of where they went with gail um, what they did with Brother Day was absolutely, you know, just outstanding. Like really good um, story choice there. So yeah, and the Salvor um, story I thought was pretty strong as well. So so you know, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go A minus on this one. Yeah, I think solid A minus is good. Um, I just like you know I, I'm looking forward to because we know that everything that's basically happening with with Brother Day is leading up to you know it all it has to do with the 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 fall of the empire right, right we know sure. the empire is is falling it's declining the, he just well, i mean i guess he kind of realizes it you know so it w- will be interesting to see because obviously this experience in somehow will play in to the ultimate you know fall of the empire so well, right. I mean, we we learned how powerful the Luminists are, you know, in, in their society. Has his standing increased so much, you know, because of his walking the spiral and the big lie, you know, will that temporarily maybe slow down the fall? You know, will, will that, you know, increase his power? Uh, you know, so we'll see. I mean, I, I, I think it's too important a story element to just, you know, have him now back on Trantor and, and forget what happened on, right. uh, you know, the salt world. So, yeah. All right. Why don't we listen to Fred's feedback and we will be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Foundation Season 1, Episode 8. First off, coming back to last week's podcast, we or I was discussing the situation of COVID here in the Netherlands and Wayne asked, what is a QR code for COVID? I was really amazed and well, Wayne doesn't seem to be a person that's living under a stone. So not knowing what the COVID QR code is, uh, if that would 
be in the United States, you would know, Wayne. Actually, here in the Netherlands and in most of Europe, it's a big, big, big issue. Because if you get your vaccination, you can get a QR code on your mobile phone. And with that, you can have entrance to restaurants or theaters or museums, etc. Because we have a limitation on entrance. And that's, of course, in the sense of public freedom and personal freedom, a big, big issue. And a lot of people are against that, uh, or not a lot of, some people are against that. And then we have protests and protest marches about that, of limitation of personal freedom. And now the figures are going up. They, the governments are asking more and more QR codes for different things, sports schools, etc., And since you don't know anything about it, I think this is such an, an American personal freedom thing that they even didn't think of such a system over the pond there with you. And initially, or until now, you could get such a QR code for being vaccinated or having suffered from COVID. So when you get a positive test and you have really had COVID or a PCR test being negative. And now they are considering to take the last off. So only if you have gone through COVID or you have a vaccination, you will get that QR code. And if you want to go to a concert and you just get a PCR test and it's a negative, you could get a QR code for two days or something. That will stop now. And the logic behind that is that if you are not vaccinated and you get a COVID test, which is negative, and you go to a concert where you have a lot of people with vaccination, they still can be infected with COVID and also spread it. But the ones that are vaccinated don't get sick of it or just a little bit. Whereas you, with your non-vaccinated body and your negative COVID test, though, can pick it up there from the vaccinated people. And that's how figures go up. And something that plays an important role in this is that we have 100% Delta variant, which is much more infectious than the original Alpha variant. Okay, I explained it. Enough about this. Going to foundation. Last podcast, so about episode 7, you were talking about whether Azura is working for Brother Dusk. You were questioning whether Dusk had something to do with Azura because he was talking to her when she was in the shower and he was wearing a towel. No, this is wrong. This is the lady in episode 6 that is called Moswen, although her name is not mentioned in the episode, but it's on IMDb, at uh, Gossamer Court. And as Wayne has said, she looks very in her haircut and things, similar to Azura. But that is not Azura. So that Moswen, yeah, indeed, was working for Brother Dusk, but Azura not. And I think Azura is just a free spirit, whatever, and likes Cleon, so Brother Dawn, and is trying to convince him to get free of his background. Another thing you were questioning is how is it possible that the present day uh, brother Don has some genetic differences or faults uh, in comparison to the other ones? Well, that's just a, a thing that can go wrong in a cloning process. So if they have embryonic stem cells, then you have cells that are all the same and are separate and you can culture perhaps an, uh, an embryo from that. Uh, the other way is just having a so-called pluripotent uh, cell mass, so having a 8-cell, 16-cell, 32-cell, and you just divide it uh, and get clones. But because they have so many clones, I don't think that's the process. And then cells going to divide, and with every division of a cell, there can go genetically something wrong. So that's also why identical twins still can have some little genetic differences. It's just after they start as an embryo, some things happen. So with all these answers to your questions about QR codes for COVID and uh, Azuras that are not Azura and with this cloning defects, I'm almost run out of time. So I hope you permit me a little more time so I still can talk about episode 8. I think it was an episode with quite some unexpected turns. To start with that the Emperor did walk through the spiral was um, expected, but that he would kill Severalima in the end and that Demerzel had to do it, I had not seen that coming. 
His journey with the old man was very nice. What, of course, was very surprising is that at a certain point he fell down and the old man got him up. Later it was the other way around. I found it surprising that a guy with this, such a trained body uh, would uh, fall down earlier than the old man. Also didn't expect that the emperor faked his vision. Obviously he took a very good one, an 11,000 years old one. And I have one nitpick, the actor Lee Pace that plays Brother Day cannot fake that his feet hurt. It looked very unnatural. Also didn't see it coming that the quarrel between Gal and Harry was so intense that he did let her leave and that she is on a journey of 138 years. I think, is she really going to be that long away? When she arrives on Synax, her parents will probably be dead already. And that's why she also is so emotional. Or will her journey be interrupted somehow? Will Harry reach his planet? And can he, as an AI more or less, start the second foundation without Wrench or Gal? Also hadn't expected that Salvor couldn't connect to the spaceship and got interrupted by Farah. Big question, of course, is where did the ship go? And what will happen on Terminus with the expansion of the Null Field? Almost too many open storylines to wrap up in two episodes, I think. But we will see. Okay, that was all. Thanks for a little more time. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. All right, Fred, I stand corrected on my assumption that the girl at Gossamer House is Azura. And I think at the time you thought, you know, that I was wrong as well. And, and, uh, um, you know, it does turn out that way you know talking about fred's genetic knowledge it 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 just seems like it it comes up in so many of the shows we cover and and to have you know fred's knowledge there that that we can draw on that he can uh you know provide for everybody is is just just awesome so uh fred thank you for that appreciate Um, you buddy thank you yeah um you know he he brings up about brother day seeming to be in better shape than the older man um but you know as i was saying at the earlier in the discussion i i really do feel like once his nanobots were extracted that while he looks to be in so much better shape it's almost as if his body's never been tested before so i wonder you know how much of that now granted that the older man did you know fall by the wayside and and again just when we think he's just such a dick he seems to gently move that man off the road and in fact he says can't you just get off to the side so that they can tend to you but you know the man says what better place to to meet my end and okay whatever but but he does you know move that man gently to the side and and then go on so Right, which again, yeah, like it seems like he's going down the right path, like literally. Yeah, right. But but no. So yeah, I mean, the complexity of his character, you know, continues to be, I I think, a strong suit here. And you know, while I guess we'd argue that Gale's character is pretty complex, it's just, um, you know, hopefully it's going to be easier to understand once she arrives at Synax in 138 years, if that's in fact what happens or does her escape pod get intercepted by somebody and, you know, we'll see. Yeah. Anyway, uh, anything else about Fred's feedback? No, just, you know, thank you, Fred, for the, and also telling us about the QR code because oh, I know yeah, that yeah, it's, yeah. that is not a thing that I don't think would go over very well in this country uh, at all. There's just uh too many people too resistant to there. We can't even get people to wear masks uh, in stores, let alone to uh, you know, identify themselves with a QR code. So, so yep. I yeah, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I, you know, it's, this country frustrates me sometimes, but mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Well, listen, we will leave it there. We got two episodes to go, nine and ten, and uh, you know, we'll talk about what we're going to do after that. You know, maybe next time. Actually, we do know what we're going to do after that. You know, the the week after that, but then, right after that, I was like, "Do we?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah." We did talk about that. Yeah, so so we can delay the the inevitable. Yeah, we still, yeah, we still, we don't have to make a decision just yet. So. So, all right, well, listen, that will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Foundation. 
anything going on in your sci-fi world, join the Facebook group if you haven't already. Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com is how you can reach us. We'll be back next week to talk about Episode 9 of the Apple TV Plus Series Foundation. But until then... You know, Dave, I'm, I'm really starting to kind of have it up to here with me having to explain myself over and over again and tell you things two or three times. Because you know what, buddy? Your lack of understanding does not obligate me to explain. <laughs>